0: Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, ladies and gentlemen, the big
1: question that arises here in the Paracast is, will the Mayans kidnap Christopher O'Brien because he's trying to probe into their mysteries?
2: Yeah, maybe they'll tear my heart out.
1: Kind of like they did in that Indiana Jones movie, or was that a brain? I lose track. You, know, you have these horror movies or these adventure movies where somebody pulls the heart out. They do that on the TV series Once Upon a Time, but it's not as graphic.
2: It's a glowing heart. How about Apocalypto, Mel Gibson's uh, propaganda piece on the Maya there? It came out about four years ago. You know what? Well, it's one of the movies I am so glad I never bothered to consider seeing. It was actually very good. Oh, was uh, it? As a, as a, you know, as popcorn munchin, you know, Saturday matinee fair, but pretty inaccurate in terms of the actual culture and the time frame. Interesting characters, interesting plot, really well produced in terms of the set design and costumes and everything. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be uh, going down into Subcommando Marcos and the Zapatistas' old uh, haunts and stomping grounds. We're not only going to be going to palenque which of course was the crown jewel city of the height of the classic period um between six and eight hundred a.d but we're going to head down to the last two classic period cities right on the border of guatemala on the use of cemento river Bonampak and Yaxchilan. everybody's getting out apple maps right now there you go but the problem is of course
1: apple maps has had a problem where the directions are frequently off like for example columbia south carolina Now, Columbia is the capital of South Carolina. You'd think that a mapping program could figure out where Columbia, South Carolina is. But if you do the search, Columbia SC, up until recently, would take you to somewhere in South America.
2: (laughs) Jeez. Oh, well, so much for Apple ruling the world, huh? Well, they kind of fixed it. But the executive (laughs) in
1: charge of that division has been, as they say, Timmed. They can no longer be Steve because Steve Jobs is dead. So he was Timmed oh, and okay. Scott Forstall. Okay. Let's cover lots of other stuff because we're going to be looking forward to lots and lots of stories on your excursion south of here. Yeah. South yeah, of the Yeah, It's going to be fun. Right. Oh, it's going to be extraordinary. I wish I could do that. Someday yeah. I will, but I'm not the adventurer type I'm mostly a hermit. I just sit in my house and I pretend. I live vicariously. I write science fiction with my son. And I pretend to go to other places, outer space. Like, for example, we just came out with a sequel to that book that Grayson and I wrote called Attack of the Rockoids. It's called The Coming of the Protectors. And we have this beautiful cover. And it's going to be on sale from Amazon in just a couple of days. Do you mind if I just plug my own stuff? I mean, we bring on authors all the time. Almost every show has somebody who has a book to plug, or a site to present, or some kind of convention to bring people to. So, I'm going to promote a book. How about
2: that? No, well, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. The Coming of the Protectors? That's right. So, what do you do? You just rub them really hard? Ah. The Protectors,
1: a dangerous race of changelings on a fanatic and holy mission to conquer the galaxy. Whoa. Is one of them named Trojan? Trojan? No, no, I don't want to get into that kind of horsey conversation here. Hey, we had an interesting comment on iTunes. You know, I think there's a small group of people who are part of what we call the Paracast Hate Brigade. They hate us. They hate what we do. And they take anything and they exaggerate it. So we had a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago, kind of a skeptical kind of person. Did a really good show. A guy named Expat. So this person posting an iTunes says this guy is a dribbling drunk. Really? That's right. A dribbling drunk? Yeah, you know, if you're going to be a drunk, that's one thing, but a dribbling drunk? My goodness. Hmm. Is there any other kind? I don't know. I, I, that's, that's, I, that's an offensive. interesting term, That's insulting, Gene. that's offensive, and it's like the people who would criticize Expat saying that he must be gay, which has to be something offensive to these people, Or he must be something, a douchebag. I think that was the other comment about him. uh, the DB. The DB comment, and that's unfortunate. Then we have the great Gene Steinberg advertising conspiracy. Here's how it works. I'm responsible for all the ads you hear on the Powercast, and therefore I select the worst ones possible. Of course, that's ridiculous. What really happens is this. We're responsible for the first minute of most ad breaks. These are ads that normally I do the recording for. We want you to listen to those ads, hopefully buy the product or service. If you do, they'll come back. They'll give us a paycheck, and that's how we survive. As far as the rest of the ads are concerned, here's how it works. The network picks them. We don't pick them. The local stations pick them. We don't pick them. If you don't like those ads, don't buy the product or service. They won't come back. If you find them objectionable for any reason, write to the network or your local station and explain why. That's how things work
2: some of the ads are real head-scratchers. Now you can carry with confidence.
1: Of course, you have those ads. It might be kind of questionable. They say, when you take the pill, instead of waiting 30 minutes, you can just wait seven seconds, and then, friends, you're ready to rumble. So basically, what's going to happen here, they're not saying that you're going to be ready in seven seconds. They're saying, it'll take seven
2: seconds several
1: minutes it'll take several seconds
2: well so your girlfriend's not gonna for like her. it pardon i said that must suck for her sure
1: but you know you have all these crazy things that they advertise and i am not going to be here to say they don't work you know the best thing to do if you hear a product and interests you do a google do a bing search see what's happening see if you like what the product has to offer, and then see what other people say about it. Do your research. Do your research. I mean, if it's a few dollars, it doesn't matter. You have fun. If it costs you a lot of money, don't just spend your money. And we'll say this about any advertiser. We have advertisers on the Powercast, the ones you hear me reading the commercials for. We think they have good stuff. And if you disagree, let us know. But before you pay your money and takes your choices, they say, check it out online, see what other people say. Then you make your decision and decide what to buy. I don't know how we got into this discussion. You know, there's a guy who we've considered having on the PowerCast for quite a bit of time. He's someone who, I guess, emphasizes UFOs and strange mysteries with kind of a Nazi connection, Joseph Farrell. Now, when it comes to Joseph Farrell, I know a lot of you listeners have contacted us at the PowerCast and suggested we have him on as a guest. I guess for some reason we didn't, but now we've decided to get him on. How did we
2: get him? Well, Joseph is, um, you, you know, I've read practically every book he's written. I'm i am a big fan of his. Uh, he brings a whole man-made UFO perspective into the field that is not very popular. And, uh, you know, being a... Uh, I think he's an Oxford scholar, a research scholar. Um, I, I may be wrong; it may be Cambridge, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's Oxford. He, uh, well, it says here at his website, which is called GizaDeathStar
1: that he got his doctorate from the University of Oxford. So I guess that settles it.
2: He's just an amazing uh, researcher. I, I I just I love his books: uh, the SS Brotherhood of the Bell, uh, Reich of the Black Sun. Uh, I've just read um, saucers, um, swastikas, and psyops. Um, The one before that was Roswell and the Reich. Uh, He he comes up with some amazing stuff that really makes you scratch your head and and think perhaps there is, as Richard Dolan uh, puts it, a breakaway civilization that somehow broke through with a new and different type of uh, physics back in the 20s and 30s and has been, uh quietly developing uh anti grav technology, potentially uh, Vortex uh technology. And uh maybe the saucers that we're seeing in the uh early forties were were actually man-made saucers and, and we're gonna have some fun with this and I'm sure it's gonna generate quite a quite a response on uh on forum com. Uh he's he's really good and we've I've been trying to get a hold of him to get him on the show on and off for three years and we finally were able to last sue him and then I'm really looking forward to this, Gene. Once again, neighbors, we'll be
1: talking to Joseph Farrell about UFOs, Nazi science, secret space programs, and more. Joseph Farrell, coming momentarily. You're in the Paracast. You know, neighbors, meetings are essential to the way we work. It's an opportunity to share ideas, problem solve, develop creative solutions. But if your team is spread out in different locations, coming together can be an impossible task unless you use GoToMeeting with HD Faces, the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online. Learn how. GoToMeeting helps you meet with your colleagues just as it helps me. You know, of course, we use GoToMeeting here on the show because it's necessary for me to communicate with the people I work with. And no matter where you're going, GoToMeeting allows you to share the same screen to make it easier to be on the same page. And now you can present from your iPad. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. For this special offer, visit Gotomeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code PODCAST. Remember, use the promo code PODCAST at
3: Gotomeeting.com. Remember, neighbors, seeing is believing. Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic any time. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237.
4: Preparedness is simple when you have the right stuff. And with the looming threat of economic collapse and possible service interruption, it's time to get the best-in-class preparedness stuff at DisasterStuff.com. DisasterStuff.com has been serving smart preppers for over 15 years with quality products like Berkey water filters. DisasterStuff.com is the official Berkey in-stock shipping center. And as always, free shipping on all Berkey products. Stock up on water barrels and accessories. Get Country Living or Wonder Mill grain mills. Excalibur food dehydrators. Tattler reusable canning lids. Sun oven solar cookers. EMP bags to protect sensitive electronics. And don't be without your LifeStraw personal water filter. All from DisasterStuff.com. Preparedness is simple with the right stuff from DisasterStuff.com. Freedom through self-reliance and personal responsibility. My
5: name is Stephen Hewer. After 22 years of nutritional counseling, I've observed that most brain malfunctions have at their roots some form of toxicity and brain damage. So whether it is poor memory, poor focus, lack of creative thinking, or more serious matters like inability to focus, speak normally, or remember things, the emphasis to getting one's brain working optimally needs to be on detoxification. One World Way supports your body's number one means of detoxification, which is glutathione production. My name is Angie, and my son has suffered from borderline autism and constipation. I got him on One World Way, and in two months, his constipation is gone. He has become friendlier. He can carry on a normal conversation with me, and he has made his first friend. He's doing great, and he looks forward to taking One World Way every day. You could offer him a present or a cake, and he would prefer the One World Way. Go to OneWorldWay.com. That's one Y.com, Or call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Well, we did it, folks. We've got Joseph Farrell joining us this week on the Paracast with Gene and Chris. Joseph, first of all, before we get into more details about all the things you've done, Let's introduce our mm-hmm. listeners to what you're all about. What is your background in this field? How did you get interested in looking at, as we say, alternate theories about UFOs?
6: Well, my background, basically, I have a background in, in philosophy and theology. A lot of people mistake that background for a background in, in physics, but that was, that was kind of a publisher's error more than anything else. But I've always been interested in subjects like this. I've, I grew up around a, a father that was an engineer, so I had always a kind of a scientific interest, and, and of course, most of his friends were engineers I grew up around, so it, it's it's always been something that fascinated me. When I decided to leave academia, I just decided to bite the bullets <laughs> and start writing about my crazy ideas, and that's where, that's where it all got started. Now, speaking of the
1: crazy ideas... Uh-huh. And I think one of the issues that we all look at when we hear your name, we hear UFOs, Nazis, World War II, secret development, secret weapons. What attracted Uh you to that subject?
6: Well, I've always been interested in in World War II, in in the military history of of the war, particularly the European theater. And there were always things that bothered me about World War II and, and what I consider kind of the Allied legend about it. The first big whopper, as far as I'm concerned, is that we're asked to believe that the nation that basically invented quantum mechanics and, and nuclear physics ended up during the war being a bunch of egregious bunglers in terms of, of their nuclear program. So after German reunification, I thought, well, this is it. There's, there's going to be fallout from that event that's going to challenge the, the post war Allied legend about German incompetence in, in nuclear matters.
1: But you know something else? Let me just interject something here, Joseph. Uh-huh. We say that they were incompetent, but if you look at the early space program from the US and the then Soviet Union, right. all the key scientists came from Nazi Germany. Germany. <laughs> that's right. The thing about that, and the V 2 rocket, everything else, sure. they were there first.
6: Right. Well, this this is the other aspect of the story that kind of blends into our, to our UFO theme. You know, I, I've written several books about Nazi secret weapons and, and the post-war uh, Nazi influence. And the reason why I've written several books is that it is such a huge story. It takes more than one book to tell this story. But let's look at what happens at the end of World War II and then the immediate aftermath. If you look very carefully at what's going on at the end of World War II, you have the Nazis themselves driving the technological division of the spoils. In other words, you have the premier Nazi scientists being directed, more or less, to the West. So the United States ends up with the creme de la creme of of the German rocket scientists. We get Werner von Braun and General Walter Dornberger, uh, Artur Rudolph, Hubertus Strughold for for space medicine, and so on and so forth. We get all the big names. But if you look at the Soviet Union, they managed to get away with hundreds of middle-echelon project managers that are able to reconstruct the documents for the Soviets. So in other words, we are being set up during the war by the Nazis as the war is drawing to a conclusion. We're being set up for a post-war stalemate. We're being set up for a space race. Now the other part of this story, as I say, is is the nuclear part of the story. And, and you know, I wrote a whole book called Reich of the Black Sun. It's full of all sorts of typographical errors, but nonetheless I think it's it's one of my better books because I argue the point in that book that it is very, very likely that the Nazi A-bomb program was at least successful to the extent that they were able to refine and uh, enrich a lot of uranium. And it may have been successful enough to have actually tested an atomic bomb before the end of the war. So, in other words, the complete history of of Nazi secret weapons development, I think, needs to be very, very carefully reassessed.
1: All right. Now, this gets to create a complicated series here. So, you mention here that we got the key scientists. Right. Right verna von braun oberth all these people they got the project managers who could do the production they got the tim cooks like we mentioned the guy at apple who was a great operations guy how did this breakdown happen was it a matter of luck of the draw or what
6: No, no, no. I think this was very definitely part of of the strategic calculation of the Nazis at the end of the war. In other words, I think they are very deliberately directing the division not only of the technological spoils themselves, but of the scientists behind them, all right? So, in other words, my point in in saying that we get the creme de la creme, if you go back and read the memoirs of, of Von Braun and so on and so forth, very clearly they exhibit a preference for the Americans, but... On the other side, you have all of these middle echelon managers being more or less shunted toward the Soviet bloc. So in other words, the Nazis themselves are deliberately determining this more or less even division of the spoils. But the fact of the matter is, and this this is kind of the subject of, of one of the books in that Nazi series, a book called The Nazi International, the fact of the matter is some of their advanced research projects, they keep to themselves and pursue after the war. And this is a key, key point. They pursue some of these advanced projects themselves after the war in host countries like Argentina. So in other words, the most advanced stuff they're keeping to themselves while they're giving away V-2 rockets and so on and so forth to the Allies and to the Soviet bloc. This is a huge, huge part of the story.
1: Okay, now the big question I have to ask here is, Uh if they had all these great developments, how did they lose the war?
6: Oh, very easily. I mean, if you study the operational history of of World War II, a lot of it was simply strategic decision-making blunders on, on the part of Adolf Hitler. Let me give you two examples The first would be towards June and July of 1940. And Hitler commits a series of strategic blunders basically after winning the war in the West. The first, of course, was to allow the British and French to escape on the beaches of Dunkirk and to fall to Hermann Goering's idea that the Luftwaffe could basically take out the British and French forces trapped there on the beaches. The second decision, it's a much bigger blunder that he makes in July of 1940 is that Reichsmarschall marshal Goering and Grand Admiral Erich Rader both devised a strategic plan at that point, after the fall of France, to take Britain completely out of the war by an indirect means. And the means was they would station most of their airborne troops in France to pin British troops in the home islands themselves while directing three different army groups to cut off britain's supply of oil
1: all right neighbors let's stop here for a moment we got a few points to make here that joseph wants to emphasize but we got to do the break also with gene and chris we're joined by joseph farrell you're in the Paracast. <laughs> magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown keep up with the latest on angels and miracles psychic phenomena ghosts ufos life after death and much much more to receive your free issue of fate magazine call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com that's 1-800-728-2730 what are you waiting for your fate awaits
9: We just had a terrible storm in the East, but we are all still in the eye of the perfect storm. We have the most devastating economic conditions since the Great Depression, America's worst drought in agricultural history, and what about the presidential election? This perfect storm is a huge threat to everyone's food supply. eFoods Direct is preparing for the shortages, and you had better do the same. I can warn you, but I can't feed you. You know that eFoods is the best tasting and safest food on the planet. We all need a bunch of storable and usable food from e Direct. None of us wants to be standing in a bread line trading our freedom for food. Anyone who doesn't take control of their uncertain future has to be just a little bit nuts. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. How will you bet your life? Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. Would you rather prepare six months too early or one day too late? Are
5: you or someone that you love struggling to reclaim your health? My name is Matthew David Hurtado, CEO of rnadrops.com. In 2008, I struggled with chronic fatigue syndrome, PTSD, and Lyme's. I thought that all hope was gone as I lost everything in the process. In 2009, a miracle happened. I discovered ion and RNA drops. Two months after taking RNA drops, the chronic fatigue and the PTSD had vanished into thin air. I'd like to invite you to discover RNA drops by visiting www.RNAFreeMini.com today. That's RNAFreeMini.com today. Listen to hours of testimonials and get a free trial bottle, pay only shipping and handling by visiting www.rnafreemini.com or
10: give us a call at one 550
11: 8231 That's 888-550-8231. Hurry, supplies are limited.
12: This is Leslie Kane and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information and you are listening to the Paracast.
1: We have Joseph Farrell joining Gene and Chris in the Paracast. And now he's explaining in lots of details the things that caused the Nazis to lose the war despite their incredible scientific achievements. And you were talking about the British here, and you were about to enumerate a few points. Could you do that now?
6: Well, the July 1940 decision of of Adolf Hitler not to pursue what was called the Mediterranean Plan that basically was hatched by Reich Marshal Goering and, and Grand Admiral Eric Rader, Uh, There would be three army groups, one advancing through Spain to cut off the supplies through Gibraltar, another from Italian Libya into Egypt to cut the oil route through Egypt, and then finally a a third group down through Turkey and into the Middle East, that direction. Now, Britain simply did not have the -the on-the-ground forces to be able to combat all of these thrusts. In other words, it would have been left prostrate, basically, by the loss of its oil supply. That was one strategic decision that Hitler, for whatever reason, did not pursue. The second strategic decision, and and it's the one that I think many military analysts would agree, probably cost him the war was in August of 1941, after the German invasion of, of the Soviet Union. When, in fact, the Wehrmacht had so decimated the Red Army, and it stood about 250 miles from Moscow, in a Russian city called Smolensk, in Belarusian. Hitler took the decision to turn the main panzer armies south, 650 miles, to encircle Russian forces at Kiev. So this operation literally took months, and it was October by the time that this panzer group got back into position at Smolensk ready for the assault on Moscow. And that probably cost him the war. So he makes a number of these blunders that, from my point of view, I think cost him the war operationally. You can have all the secret weapons that you want, but but they've got to be brought online soon. And the fact of the matter is you're you're dependent in the meantime on, on military success of, of your ground operations. So these things cost him war.
1: Okay, now we go back to this now, we have parity mm-hmm. or standoff situation with the US and the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. But the real developments are happening in Argentina. Yes. Okay. Now yeah. we've heard about things going on in Argentina through the years in the UFO field. So right. can you give us kind of a backstory here, a history of what went on, not just then, but does any of it exist today?
6: Oh, great question. What happens after, after the war in Argentina with the Nazis is you have a fellow by the name of Dr. Ronald Richter developing ostensibly with the support of, of the Perón government a technique or technology of, of fusion Control um, for all intents and purposes, he was kind of working on on a version of cold fusion. And now this is back in the 1950s. The interesting thing about Dr. Richter, when you examine his project, is that there are a number of detailed connections to the project in Nazi Germany that's known as the Bell. All right. In fact, the detailed connections are are so numerous. That, in my opinion, what you have going on in Argentina is a continuation of that Bell project, or at least certain aspects of it. The other thing going on in Argentina that I point out in in Roswell and the Reich is that you have the Horton brothers that invented that German flying wing that... uh, I think 1938, 1939 made its first test flights. And incidentally, that flying wing has a very, very low radar cross-section, even to this day. So in other words, they're developing basically what we would consider stealth technologies. Well, the Horton brothers make it to Argentina, and what they're doing down there, is they're designing lots of advanced jet aircraft for again for, for Juan Peron's government. So my point in raising these these ideas is that once again you have very clear indicator that the Nazis set themselves up after the war. They created the funding they created the business connections and, and technology interfaces and so on. To continue their most advanced projects independently. This is so crucial, independently of either the Western Bloc or the Soviet Union. Now, in 1951, Perón gave a press conference to, basically, to the world to announce the fact that Dr. Richter and his team had, in Perón's words, solved the problem or discovered the secret of the hydrogen bomb. You know, and this is, this is a, <laughs> 1951 in Argentina. This is kind of a preposterous claim to be making. And, of course, Perón was roundly denounced in the world press. Richter was called a, a charlatan and a fraud and so on and so forth. And eventually, Perón shut the project down. Now, one of the things... Now, I have to ask you here. Sure. Why would he shut it down? Well, hang on. I'm getting there. One of the things that Richter claims in, in his claims at that period is that he's able to achieve fusion at much colder temperatures than the standard model of physics at that time, and for that matter to this day, would accept. All right? And Richter goes further. He even goes to the point of of saying that this has something to do with being able to tap into the zero-point energy. Now, Perron appoints a commission when the world outcry in the press is, is so overwhelming against Richter's claims. Perón appoints a commission to go examine this laboratory, all right? And as I point out in the Nazi International, Richter behaves like a complete fool in front of the Argentinian scientists going down there to examine his project. And because of the foolishness of his behavior and the claims that he makes, the Argentinian scientists advise Perón to shut the project down. Now, my point in stressing this is that Richter's behavior is so outrageous and so clueless. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a Nazi physicist to figure out that not turning on your equipment is going to affect, <laughs> is going to affect the experiment. <laughs> so I suspect that what's really going on is that Richter was ordered that he was under orders to act this way, to get the project shut down and remove it from world scrutiny so that they could move the project elsewhere. This is, this is what I think happened. Now, I have no idea where they moved it to or who was involved with it, but I can tell you this. After Richter's project was shut down, three years later, and this is and there's reasons for this as well, the U.S. Air Force secretly interviews Richter in Buenos Aires, where he's under house arrest. And the Air Force documents that that I reproduce in the Nazi International, you have to read them to understand the perplexion that's going on at the upper levels of, of the American military industrial establishment, because... They don't know what to do or think about Richter and his claims. Some American scientists think that he's nothing but a swindler, a fraud, and a mountebank. But other American scientists are convinced that the man's ideas are so advanced, one scientist even said that he's a mad genius working in the 1970s, you know, two decades ahead of everybody else. The real problem is. When you read these documents, Richter is telling the Air Force that, yeah, I'm continuing experiments of of things that I observed in 1936 in Nazi Germany. So when you add it all up, what you've got going on in Argentina is, number one, a continuation of the Bell Project. Number two, the scientific conceptions are way, way either in advance of anything that, that American scientists are thinking about, or they're completely fraudulent. There's no two ways between the two. There, there's no middle ground.
2: Well, um, that, that brings me to a, a very, uh, I think, important thing that we need to bring up, and that is aether uh, physics and uh, the role yeah. of the Bell Project and and right. this breakaway uh, branch of physics uh-huh. that uh, you don't read about in your scientific uh, magazines, textbooks. Why don't you give us a, a little background on this, uh, the diversion mm-hmm. of relativistic physics and w- w- what you and others have called uh, aether physics.
1: And I'll tell you, before you do that, Joseph, uh-huh. we got to do our break. All right. It's that time again. Okay, for the pause and refreshes, we have Joseph Farrell with Gene and Chris. You're in The Pericast. <laughs>
7: The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. We also have
1: swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag... Stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the If You go to
13: store.thepowercast.com stop by and take a shopping tour.
7: What's safer and cheaper than prescription drugs?
13: Glad you asked. The answer is Renovation Teas. Herbal remedies are much safer and much cheaper than prescription drugs. Taste great, and most importantly, herbal teas are effective and non-addictive. Renovation Tea is especially unique, and here's why. We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. Renovation Teas uses only 100% organic, fair trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox and much more all renovation teas are formulated and hand-filled in arkansas take care of yourself naturally the way mother nature intended order renovation teas at renovationtea.com or call 870-784-3121 that's 870-784-3121 renovation teas renovate your health one bag at a time
14: That's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your Fake TV for only $34.95, go to FakeTV.com or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. Each additional Fake TV is only $29.95. So get one for you and one for a loved one, for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877 5 TV or go to
3: faketv.com. Faketv.com, the burglar deterrent. A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even though I had a pretty good-sized meal, I was still starving.
12: Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri?
1: We have Joseph Farrell joining Gene and Chris on the Paracast, and we're taking a look at the outgrowth of incredible or possibly incredible scientific discoveries from the Nazis. Joseph was going to answer one of Chris's detailed questions. Joseph?
6: Well, yeah the the idea of of what you're calling ether physics or or some people would call zero point energy physics, but quantum vacuum flux, you know, scalar physics, whatever you wish to call it, I think, I think definitely this is something that the Nazis were after, and, and let me give you the basic reason why. When the Nazis came to power, they set up within the SS two research, very, very top secret research bureaus. One was a, an entity called Forschung, Entwicklungen und Patente, in other words, Research Development and Patents. This was under the command of a four-star SS general, a, a almost completely unknown fellow by the name of Emil Matzev. And the the mission brief of this department was to pull any patent that was made in Nazi Germany, much like we do in this country, that has any national security implications or that could be developed, all right, and turn it over to another bureau within the SS for the purpose of development. Now, this other bureau was called the, if I can remember the name of it, the Entwicklungstelle Führer, the the Development Area 4. The purpose of this was to investigate so-called free energy or what we're calling ether physics for the purpose of making nazi germany energy independent and this in turn led in my opinion to the bell project let me make the bell project very clear as to what i think it was and what i think it wasn't i think this project in all honesty is probably the core or center of the nazi ufo mythos all right The project, in my opinion, was set up as a gateway technology to investigate so-called free energy or zero-point energy or ether physics, whatever you wish to call it, for three purposes. The first purpose being to develop that kind of energy to make Germany energy independent. Secondly, to develop a real honest-to-goodness field propulsion or, if you prefer, anti-gravity capability. And the third thing that they want out of it is a doomsday weapon. Why would that be so important? What's the connection with doomsday weapon and ether physics? And and the connection is this. If you have a technology that allows you to engineer the fabric of space-time on the laboratory bench and draw energy from that ability, then if you weaponize that potential, you have a, a potential weaponization capability that would make our largest hydrogen bombs look like a kitchen match. All right. So in other words, they're after three things. This is a gateway technology. Now, the reason I say it may be the core of the Nazi UFO legend is twofold. If you examine the research of, of Igor Vitkovsky or Nick Cook or myself, There's some evidence that suggests that this Bell device, when it was tested outside, actually levitated, all right? The problem here is that that's all that is said about it. In other words, they came up with a device that had a real field propulsion capability, apparently. It did levitate, but it didn't perform any of the fantastic maneuvers of UFOs. So in other words, we're looking at a gateway technology, but it's not a Nazi UFO. And that's what makes it have the ring of reality to me. We're not dealing, in other words, with the Bell Project, with fanciful claims that are badly substantiated of the Nazis having built field propulsion flying saucers that went to the moon and back or went to Mars and so on and so forth. We're not dealing with any of that happy nonsense. We're dealing with a real project that has an apparent real physics behind it once you reverse reverse engineer it that was capable apparently according to some witnesses of a basic field propulsion capability namely levitation so this is why the project greatly greatly interests me and incidentally this is the reason i think that they kept this project to themselves after the war and continued to pursue aspects of it in argentina but at this
1: point then where did it go? Is it something that's dormant today? You think if they got this far in the 1940s and 50s, well, it's 2012. What's happening? That's
6: right. Well, I, I don't think that, you know, if you have a technology like this, you're certainly not just going to sit on it and let it fall apart. I think you're going to do whatever it takes to continue to investigate it. But after 1951, there isn't any trail from that point on, after they shut down Richter's project, as to where this project actually goes, the closest thing that gives a faint indicator is, believe it or not, the Kexberg UFO crash, and here's why. In both cases, you're dealing with an object that has the same approximate shape. In both cases, you're dealing with an object that has the same, believe it or not, the same approximate dimensions. And in both cases, this is what really kind of sold the connection to me. In the case of the Kecksburg object, the story is, if you you follow the research of, uh, I think, Stan Gordon, if you follow that story, it eventually ends up at Wright-Patterson Air Base in, in Dayton, Ohio. And it's housed... According to one fellow who worked for a local construction company, the U.S. Air Force suddenly, after the Kecksburg incident, called them up and ordered a bunch of ceramic bricks all right and he had to deliver this to this warehouse where he saw this acorn or bell-shaped object behind a, a silk screen well to me this is extremely interesting and it may be a possible connection between the two devices because the nazi bell if you if you look carefully at the research of igor vitkovsky was housed in a chamber lined with ceramic bricks over which had to be uh, placed rubber mats. So in other words, we're dealing in both cases with an object that gave off extremely powerful radiation and required unusual shielding arrangements. So that is the one post-1951 connection that, that has a number of data points that are suggestive of the Nazi bell that may be some sort of connection. But other than that, we don't know where it went. Am I certain that whoever it was that had control of the project continued to research it? Absolutely. What would they have been able to achieve in in the decades since the end of the war with enough money and manpower? Well, I think it is reasonable to conclude that they may have, on that basis, come up with a workable, genuine field propulsion capability. Absolutely.
2: And you bring up a good point. We've jumped ahead to Kecksburg, which is in the early 60s. However, in Roswell and the Reich, which I, I just find endlessly fascinating, uh, a fabulous book, um, you do a, a really good job of looking at the Roswell incident and kind of separating the wheat from the chafe in, in terms of why the secrecy, why the, uh, the press release, uh, uh-huh. announcing the capture of a flying disc, uh-huh. and then – you know the the exact opposite disclaimer. Oh, it was just a, a weather balloon, and uh-huh. uh, you know th- you make a case that perhaps what was discovered was very terrestrial technology. That right. in your in your uh, interpretation and in your research indicates could have been a German technology. Uh, let's talk about Roswell briefly, okay. and, and and you're thinking about that because I, I I I'm telling our listeners if you're interested in this subject at all. You've got to read this book. It is. It'll blow your mind. Before Joseph blows some minds, we have about a minute
1: for this segment. Then we'll continue the answer in the next one. Go ahead. Please.
6: All right. Well, uh, Roswell and the Reich. It's interesting you bring that book up because you know, to me, it's the book ufology loves to hate, or, or to even be more accurate, loves to ignore. <laughs> because uh, you're right. I, 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 I subject the Roswell story. To and, and its major researchers to a very, what I think is thorough overview and analysis of, of what I think may have happened. So let me preface my, my response by saying that, that my approach to Roswell is premised on the assumption that the Nazis survived World War II as a powerful enough organization with enough financing that they can continue to develop some of these projects independently after the war in in their host countries in in South America, particularly Argentina. So that's my premise, and and we'll get into Roswell itself on the basis of that premise, I think, probably in in more detail after our break.
1: Good timing. Of course, those of you who believe that Roswell involved a spaceship, well, perhaps you're going to disagree with us. We have Joseph Farrell joining us this week with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
7: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network.
16: Do you think your home is toxic? According to the Consumer Protection Agency, over 150 chemicals found in the average home are connected to allergies, birth defects, cancer, and psychological disorders. The proven fact is we live in the most toxic environment in history. Yes, toxins can be killers, but there is something you can do. Detoxify your body with the Ion Cleanse Detoxification System from A Major Difference. The Ion Cleanse is made in the USA, carries the best warranty in the industry, and comes with a no risk, money back guarantee. We have an A rating with the Better Business Bureau and are trusted by thousands of doctors worldwide. Visit IonCleanse.com. That's I O N Cleanse.com. Or call 877 315 8638. That's 877 315 8638. Invest in your health with the Ion Cleanse from A Major Difference. IonCleanse.com. One of the most important decisions you will ever make.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: So we're back to the R word again, the Roswell case. And could it have possibly been some kind of aircraft, test aircraft developed by Those Nazi scientists. With Gene and Chris, we have Joseph Farrell to explain it all. Go ahead, please.
6: If you look at Roswell carefully, and and I'm going to try and compact a a 500-plus page book into a few into a few minutes. If you look at the Roswell case carefully and base your analysis on the premise that Nazism survived the war. There is a key document that is cited by the Roswell Pro-Extraterrestrial Hypothesis researchers. It's called the Shulgin Intelligence Collection Memorandum. This was a memorandum drawn up by the Chief of Air Force Intelligence at the time, a fellow by the name of General Shulgin. Now, the interesting thing about this document is it comes in two versions. It comes in a hoaxed version of which clearly has additions favoring the extraterrestrial hypothesis. And then it comes in an authentic version, where no mention is made of extraterrestrials or off-planet origins for this technology, but where there is a clear reference to technologies developed in Nazi Germany. All right, And that That reference to technologies developed in Nazi Germany exists in both versions of the document. Now, I'm pointing this document out because it's a signal indicator of what may have really panicked the American military after their recovery of whatever it was that crashed at Roswell. Let's, just for the sake of argument, forego the extraterrestrial hypothesis for a moment and assume that what Jesse Marcel came on to in that debris field, and once it was brought back to Roswell Army, U.S. Army Airfield in Roswell, and they had enough chance to look at it. And then they bring in General Nathan Twining of the Air Materials Command, who's definitely in the area at the time, and he looks at this stuff, and he's thinking, oh my God, if the U.S. military in July of 1947, finds something Nazi has crashed in the New Mexico desert. Are they going to hit the panic button? Are they going to attempt to cover it up? You betcha, and the reason is simple. This is the enemy that supposedly we defeated two years ago. What in the name of God are they doing flying in our airspace over our, de- our sensitive defensive installations two years after the end of the war? The political conclusion that they would have come to if this is accepted for the sake of argument is, oh my God, they're out there somewhere and they're continuing to develop this stuff. And it's very interesting when you read the Shulgin Intelligence Collection Memorandum. Even in its extraterrestrial host version, Shulgin is extremely concerned to find out where the heck are the Horton brothers. In other words, where are these German engineers that developed the flying wing? Now... That statement, even in the version that is going on and on about extraterrestrials, is a dead giveaway. That this crash has nothing to do with extraterrestrials. Why would you need a bunch of German engineers if you came across something extraterrestrial? I just
1: wonder, Joseph, to interject here, is if E.T. might have been in some cases a convenient excuse you know, well, because E.T. Yeah. sounds fantastic and incredible, but it misdirects us from what might be a real source, assuming these Precisely. Nazi scientists were responsible, assuming.
6: Precisely. That, that is exactly the view that I take in, in Roswell and in the Reich. Because if you look at the U.S. Army Air Force's response, what they do is they set up what I call the Roswell dialectic. They set up something that forces you or compels you to examine the event from one of two points of view, that it's either extraterrestrial or something so mundane that it's almost ridiculous to spend time with, namely the the capture of some sort of balloon, all right? What you are prevented from doing in that dialectical setup is looking at the possibility that this represents an extraordinary human technology, number one, and number two, an extraordinary human technology that is not under post-war American or Soviet control. So the big news, as far as I'm concerned about Roswell, simply isn't the technology. The big news is political. Because if you find something Nazi has crashed in the New Mexico desert in 1947, that's a huge political statement. You cannot afford to admit the possibility that you may be dealing with an enemy that has gone deeply underground after the war, that has bases of operation that you you suspect may exist, but you don't know exactly where. On top of all of that, You're dealing, therefore, with an enemy that has vast resources of funding and, by the nature of the case, has access to that funding, which can only imply collusion of some of your own financial institutions. So, in other words, the political implications are huge.
1: Well, the thing is here, the question that you raise here, based on what you say, would that mean that sources within the military-industrial complex, so-called... Would be using money to finance
2: this third party? No, it's the banks that are funding it. I think the international bankers. Exactly.
6: These are legitimate questions, and I think there is a little bit of both because one of the things that you run into. If you look at the, the uh, Magic 12 documents, some of the Magic 12 documents suggest that after the Roswell crash, the U.S. Army Air Force brought in some of these German scientists to look at this stuff and tell them what it was, what they thought it was. Now, why would you do that? If you suspected, let, let, let's reason this through. If you're the US Army Air Force and you suspect that you've got something genuinely extraterrestrial on your hands, do you bring in your former enemies to look at it and render an opinion? My guess would be no, simply on, you know, the the security interests of compartmentalization. You keep this a secret and you keep it to yourselves and to the most trustworthy individuals. You don't bring in Werner von Braun or Kurt Davis and say, hey, look at this cool stuff. What do you think it is? <laughs> <You know? laughs> because, as I also point out in Roswell and the Reich, the U.S. Army counterintelligence had reason serious reason to believe that these Nazi scientists were still in communication with other Nazis, and they didn't know where or how. So, in other words, the whole story that we've been given reeks. All right, Now, Who are these Nazis in bed with? Well... I point out in another of my books called Babylon's Banksters that if you look at the composition of the early post-war Bilderberg meetings, let's recall a dynamic about these meetings. On the Western or Anglo-American financial elite side, who do you have setting these meetings up? Well, you have the involvement of the Rothschilds. You have Lawrence and David Rockefeller helping set this up. But who do you have on the European side? Well... You've got Prince Bernard. Who's Prince Bernard? He's a minor German nobleman, but he is a senior manager in IG Farben. He's an SS officer, all right? So, in other words, he is a representative, if you will, of all of this vast post-war Nazi loot that needs to be laundered. Who's one of the frequent guests at these early Bilderberg meetings? a fellow by the name of Dr. Hermann Josef Ax Who's he? Well, he just happens to be the CEO of Deutsche Bank, alright? During the war, Dr. Ops was head of a handling bank in Berlin that handled all of the Reich government accounts. In other words, this was the guy that signed the paycheck for Adolf Hitler as Chancellor of the Reich, okay? So, in other words, if you look at the dynamic of the Bilderberg meetings, you've got the Nazis sitting on this vast pile of post-war loot. They they need to be able to launder that loot and have access to it. I'll tell you so what,
1: I, we have to get a little bit of loot ourselves for a moment here. Okay. Okay, Joseph Farrell joining Gene and Chris. You're in <laughs> the Baricast. cast. <laughs> Hey, neighbors, you've seen all those crazy, wacky products on TV. The perfect tortilla, easy covers, hot booties, furniture fix, petty spin, and more. Where do you find all that stuff? You go to asseenontv.com because this is the one-stop source for all of these TV goods advertised. Find all your favorites as seen on TV. Check them out asseenontv.com. And by the way, save 10%. Here's what you do. Use the code SEEN1, S-E-E-N number one, SEEN1. Go to asseenontv.com to order, save 10%. Purchase this summer's hottest as-seen-on-TV items, save 10%. Or call 1-866-277-3366, 1-866-277-3366, the code SCENE1 to save 10%.
17: Gold, it's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2237 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As Good As Gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at
13: 800-686-2237.
0: we'd like to hear from you if you have a comment or question about the paracast send it to news at theparacast.com that's news at theparacast.com and don't forget to visit our famous paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com
1: we're back we collected a couple of dollars i think on that session with gene and chris (laughs) we have joseph farrell and we're having a fascinating session here, looking into the so-called international bankers who might have somehow financed the Nazi scientists. But I have to ask you this question here again, which I'm still a little bit dim on. Uh-huh. Where did this go after the 50s? And we can go into more connections between uh-huh. UFO sightings and possible Earth-based saucers. Uh-huh. But what's happening in 2012? Has any of this gone on, or is it way, way underground? What's happened?
6: I think it's both. Uh, I think definitely you have to look at the creation of this post war Blacks Projects entity in the American military industrial complex in a twofold fashion. Because what you're dealing with, the scientific capabilities that, that you're dealing with, would require an enormous amount of funding. And I think, therefore, that this funding mechanism itself is deeply black and it was set up in my opinion after world war ii with the collusion of major american financial institutions with certain key individuals in the government in in the intelligence and military uh, bureaucracies on the one hand and on the other with the knowledge and participation Of the former Axis power elites, and and I say that because there's a Japanese component to this story. It's very, very significant as well. So you have basically, Gene, I think, an agreement. What I call I call it the détente, the post-war détente between the surviving elites of the Axis powers, with access to all this vast loot and the financial and military elite of of the post-war west particularly the united states the detente consists of this and i'll be very brief and blunt about what i think happened they moved all of this liquid cash and and then hard assets like bullion uh, precious gems and so on and so forth into the western banks this became in effect a secret reserve against which the banks participating in the scheme could vastly expand their ledger credit entry-making abilities. So, number one, this movement of Axis loot in the post-war period into the major Western banks in part accounts for the post-war expansion of credit and the post-war boom. But the second thing we have to remember, and and I'm letting a huge clue out here for folks, is that when you say that you have a secret reserve, this would therefore allow those banks to rehypothecate that reserve over and over and over again and create a huge bubble of leverage against that reserve. Now, the reason I'm putting it that way is, isn't it very, very interesting that the one nation with in the world with allegedly the second largest gold reserves right now is germany and what's germany calling for it wants a full audit of all of its gold in the u.s federal reserve system and we are squirming so i think you're also looking if you if you look at my scenario of this post-war financial development and carry it down to today I think what you're looking now is at the breakdown of that post-war financial system and post-war detente.
1: Well, does the economic crisis affecting the entire world, especially USA banks, the largest banks, is that part of it in any way? I mean, we learned to think it was mortgage-backed securities and all this other
6: nonsense. Yes, I think it is part of it, and I think mortgage-backed securities are a part of this, uh, the the whole creation of the derivatives bubble. But what I'm suggesting to you, what I'm attempting to suggest to you, is that this whole system, this whole creation of of derivatives, credit default swaps, mortgage bubbles, and so on and so forth, is in turn based upon this hidden system of finance and the rehypothecation of secret hard reserves over and over and over again. The reason why this was done is if you look at the vast amount of money that we're talking about, we're talking about a system of finance that was set in place after World War II for the precise purpose of, number one, waging a covert war against the communist bloc, to eventually roll it back and ultimately defeat it, number one. And number two, with such vast funds available and completely off the books, you are able to finance hugely expensive technological black projects. That means that this system of finance is tied inexorably to the creation of a super sophisticated war machine. You can't get rid of the one without getting rid of the other. They are inexorably tied. What they might have accomplished in that time is anybody's guess. But to connect a few dots here, let's look at the case of Gary McKinnon in the United Kingdom. He hacks into American computers and he discovers, or so he claims, the existence of an entire secret space program with secret capabilities that none of us know about. Right. This idea of a secret space program goes all the way back to Nazi Germany. Why? Very simply, the reason is this. You have with the V2s, the V1s, all of their ballistic missile programs, you have the public space program. But with things like the Horton Brothers, their flying wings, we haven't even talked about some of the Nazi ideas for for, jet turbine-based flying saucers, and more importantly, with with the Bell Project, you have this interest in very, very avant-garde notions of engineering and physics, that at the deepest level is the secret space program. So this twin track program idea, in other words, dates from and to Nazi Germany.
1: Now, when you talk of secret space program, Uh I want to get back to the UFO connection with this in a moment. How far are we talking about? Are we talking about another program that's landed people on the moon, on Mars or something? How far, how extensive might this program be? And let me just tell you before the answer, we're going to have to do the break in a little over a minute so we can start here and continue next section.
6: But how far? Basically, I think that you have to at least entertain the possibility, Gene, that you're looking at a program that may have the capability of landing and sustaining a human presence on the moon and possibly on nearby celestial neighbors like mars i think you have to acknowledge at least the possibility and the reason again is you're dealing with a technology that dates at least from world war ii i mean if we really want to press the case we can go back to some of the strange things tesla was saying at the turn of the last century so in other words we could be dealing with something that's taken an entire century to covertly develop and given the vast amounts of money sloshing around out there that are both inside and outside the global system of public finance, then we have to, I think, at least acknowledge the possibility that that capability might exist.
1: We'll have to see how far it goes in our next segment with Joseph Farrell. With Gene and Chris, you're in The (laughs) Paracast.
3: Or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com.
8: You know the Constitution like the back of your hand. You've read books, listened to podcasts, attended lectures, surfed websites, and watched videos. You've made liberty your life's goal. But something seems to be missing. Stickers from LibertyStickers.com. Exercise your freedom of speech with the world's most dangerous bumper stickers. That's libertystickers.com. But wait...
0: Do
16: you think your home is toxic? According to the Consumer Protection Agency, over 150 chemicals found in the average home are connected to allergies, birth defects, cancer, and psychological disorders. The proven fact is we live in the most toxic environment in history. Yes, toxins can be killers, but there is something you can do. Detoxify your body with the Ion Cleanse detoxification system from A Major Difference. The Ion Cleanse is made in the USA, carries the best warranty in the industry, and comes with a no risk, money back guarantee. We have an A rating with the Better Business Bureau and are trusted by thousands of doctors worldwide. Visit IonCleanse.com. That's I O N Cleanse.com. Or call 877 315 8638. That's 877 315 8638. Invest in your health with the Ion Cleanse from A Major Difference. IonCleanse.com. One of the most important decisions you will ever make.
8: This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the Powercast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: With Jean and Chris, you're in the Powercast. Joseph Farrell making his first visit on the show; it will not be his last. Lots of fascinating discussion here. Joseph, so let me just ask you a few theoretical questions, okay? Uh-huh. So we have this group of scientists possibly formerly working with Nazi Germany. We Uh have unlimited sources of money from the international bankers or banksters, as we sometimes call them. We have the potential that they've continued a secret or covert space program, even though publicly the U.S. space program has gone nowhere since we landed on the moon. There's a secret space program. There may be some detente amongst various countries, even considering what's going on behind the scenes. But now, Mm -hmm. to get to the real meat and potatoes here, and something I think some of our skeptical listeners are going to ask, how do we prove there's a secret space program? What evidence is there for it?
6: Well, I think you have to take a two-track approach to it, uh, Gene. The first would be finances. The way or the method, I'm writing a book right now about this very topic, so I'm kind of giving away a bit of it. Well, you'll Um, sell some books, that's all. Well, I hope so. But the first way is to look at the system of finance itself and and really determine why is it there. The first method would be to, to look at this system of finance and determine, number one, is there a hidden system of finance? And if so, is the system of finance large enough? is the amount of money apparently involved in it large enough to support a vast, covert technological development. All right. Now, I think, as a matter of fact, that you can argue that case. In fact, no less than, than a former assistant secretary of housing and urban development, Catherine Austin Fitz, has been saying the same thing, that there does exist this huge system of finance and that it may have been for the purpose of, of funding by projects. The second thing you have to look at, I think, is is there sufficient evidence to suggest a twofold scientific development? Number one, is there evidence of an alternative or suppressed physics? And number two, is there evidence of the development of a technology based on that alternative physics model? And I think you have to come away in answer to that question that there definitely is. Let's take an example, and this will probably be familiar to to some of your listeners. The the former head of the Lockheed Skunk Works, Ben Rich, after his retirement, is reported as saying some very strange things. Number one would be, we found an error in the equations, and now we have the technology. And
2: this, this really blew me away when I heard it. Now we right. have To technology take E.T. back to the stars. I to love take
6: that. E.T. Back to, back to the stars. <laughs> E.T. And, go home. E.T. go home, you know. And then you, you add to this some of the other statements that Rich made that, you know, we have stuff out in the desert that, that would make George Lucas blush, you know, green with envy, and, and so on and so forth. Now, I think that if you look at the entire history Of development of physics, and I attempt to do this to some extent in the Nazi books, particularly in the SS Brotherhood of the Bell, you have to look at people like the British physicist E.T. Whitaker in a 1903 paper that he wrote, a very technical paper I should add, called On the Partial Differential Equations of Mathematical Physics. You know, you read this thing, it's 50 pages of partial differential equations. But the bottom line is, is that you come up with papers like this that are pre-relativistic that are very, very different in terms of the type of physics that they envision. Now, the reason I mention Whitaker is that his paper was published in Germany. In, in Mathematische Annalen. So, in other words, the Germans, when the Nazis come to power, they're sitting on top of all of these papers that were published prior to, to the Nazi assumption of power inside of Germany. So, in other words, the Nazis are looking at this and, and they are possibly seeing the potential for the development of a very different paradigm or at least a very different technology based
2: on some of these concepts in,
6: in some of these papers.
2: Brings me to a question that we have on uh, from Gobsmacky, one of, one of our uh, forum posters, uh-huh. and he asks, you know, you have stated that physics has been a pastime of yours, and you don't claim any qualifications there, right. but you know, you're talking about a fifty page paper of differential equations, and he goes on to ask, can you tell us what level did you to what level did you study physics in school? Have you been uh, keeping up with uh, changes in physics since then? And uh, Give us uh, an idea of your level of, of expertise in this particular uh, realm.
6: Well, I don't claim expertise. I've, I've, I read certain physics papers. I try to stay abreast of, of certain developments. Uh, as for my level, when I was in junior high school, I grew up in South Dakota. And at the time, I can't speak for their school system now, but at the time, they had accelerated programs in various disciplines so that if you showed talent or if you showed that you were bored for that that matter in some of the courses at your level, they'd skip you a couple of grades and and put you uh, in certain programs to accelerate, you know, your educational experience. So, when I was, began the seventh grade, I was put in one of these accelerated mathematics programs that so I was being given courses that normally would have been taught two grades later than, than what I was given. And that continued all the way through my high school period. And I as far as physics goes you know in, in seventh grade I became fascinated with physics when I read a book by Albert Einstein and, and Leopold Enfeld that was called the evolution of physics it's, it's a little uh, paperback kind of popular popular presentation of, of the development of physics from the standpoint of, of Einstein and his development of, of relativity theory so you know I I became interested in it I can't claim any uh, I can't claim any school education in it. It's just something I read about on my own. You know, I've got a whole bookshelf here in my in my uh, office library. Actually, two bookshelves of, of math and physics textbooks, just things I like to read about.
1: Okay, so let me ask you a question here that always occurs when you talk about the possibilities of secret weapons, secret aircraft, and perhaps a secret space program. Whether, for example, Roswell was a secret aircraft that crashed. Right. Among all those UFO sightings that we reported in those early days including the craft seen above Washington in 1952. Do you think all or at least some of the aircraft seen was due to secret
2: Nazi developments?
6: I think this is a great question. I think that Yeah, chance- like
2: uh, excuse me for cutting in, but but uh I mean Kenneth Arnold's sighting of of nine objects uh, near Mount Rainier Mm -hmm. are really reminiscent of some of the designs that the Horton brothers were working on at the end of World War II.
6: Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, we've sure turned that classic sighting on its head.
6: Uh, You know, I I post, uh, it's interesting you point that out, Chris, because I post Arnold's picture in SS Brotherhood of the Bell and then give you a picture of one of the Horton flying wings actually in flight so that you can see the strong resemblance of, of what Arnold drew and what the Hortons actually designed—the uh, resemblance is, is stunning. So, do I do I think like that uh, the 1952 UFO flap over Washington D.C. might have been something from this Nazi project, possibly? But I think the other thing we need to we need to be very very careful of for those who who want to look at all of this as being nothing but human development. We have to look at the physics signatures of what we're seeing. Are they, on the one hand, sufficient to compel to the conclusion that, that these things are extraterrestrial objects? Well, in my opinion, in many cases, no, they're not. But, on the other hand, in many cases, they are beyond what we could project reasonably as... as falling within human capability of the day. Now, I happen to think that it's possible that the 1952 UFO flap may have, at least in part, have been from some human black project. But I by no means think that you can explain all UFO sightings, particularly those indicative of a technology.
1: I'll tell you you what we'll have to explore. Technology, Earth-made UFOs and otherwise... With Joseph Farrell, joining Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast.
7: The GCN Radio Network. Providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here.
9: We just had a terrible storm in the East, but we are all still in the eye of the perfect storm. We have the most devastating economic conditions since the Great Depression, America's worst drought in agricultural history, and what about the presidential election? This perfect storm is a huge threat to everyone's food supply. eFoods Direct is preparing for the shortages, and you had better do the same. I can warn you, but I can't feed you. You know that eFoods is the best tasting and safest food on the planet. We all need a bunch of storable and usable food from eFoods Direct. None of us wants to be standing in a bread line trading our freedom for food. Anyone who doesn't take control of their uncertain future has to be just a little bit nuts. Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com Alex. How will you bet your life? Call 800-409-5633 or eFoodsDirect.com Alex. Would you rather prepare six months too early or one day too late?
3: I'd seen the Longevity products work for many others. And so I bought a bunch of them, started using them, had a little bit of results, but I wasn't following the regimen every day. But Aaron Dykes in my office did and lost more than 60 pounds. When I saw those results, I said, I better follow my own advice. I started taking the Longevity products and it's been incredible. 37 pounds in two months. Our bodies are amazing. God gave us an incredible gift but if our body doesn't have the tools it needs, all of the vitamins, all of the minerals and the other key essential trace elements, we're not going to be healthy. Folks, this isn't hype I only bring to my listeners products that I've tried myself and I truly believe in and the amazing supplements available at InfoWarsTeam.com have certainly delivered my life, I hope you'll give them a try. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine completely Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com.
8: This is Kurt in the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to The Paracast.
1: With Gene and Chris, we are going on a journey to what? Earth-based UFOs? E.T.? And you're talking here, Joseph Farrell, about A physics signature evidence, I guess, as Uh to whether an aircraft is something that we could have developed or Uh something that might be done elsewhere.
6: Uh-huh. Well, I, I was saying before the break, I by no means think that you can explain every single UFO sighting as the product of a human technology. I think there's too many cases, for example, of, of USOs, of, of under unidentified submarine objects that, you know, come flying in uh, into the water and disappear or fly out of the water, up into the sky. To my mind, that's a capability that exceeds possibly exceeds human capabilities even for these secret by projects so i think we have to be careful i don't think that that every ufo sighting is, is something human i attempt to examine things on a case-by-case basis uh roswell and the reich is is a 500 plus page book about that specific subject and what researchers have said and in my opinion um uh, I think, have said erroneously about about that event, but you know, um, I, I certainly don't think that you can account for everything that falls under the UFO phenomenon as being a Nazi development or a human development. No, I, I just, I, I've never believed that.
2: Joseph, one thing that's always puzzled me was Admiral Byrd's uh, Operation Hydro <laughs> expedition yeah. down to Antarctica, and of course, uh-huh. over the years, we've all heard stories of uh, New Schwabenland and and uh, possible uh, German um, sort of infrastructure building uh, underneath the ice caps of uh, Antarctica. What, where do you come down on that? What do you think about that whole scenario of an Antarctic-German presence?
6: Okay, that's, that's when I get answered or asked a lot. And, and my response is always the same. I have massive doubts about a Nazi Antarctic UFO research or development base in Antarctica. The reason being, let's go back to the Bell story for a moment. If you look at the way this story, unfolds and and I, you know we we really have to look at the details of of the story one of the details of the bell device if you examine the story is that it required an enormous amount of direct current electrical power to the extent that the nazis built an entire electrical power plant within hundreds of yards of the installation at which the Bell device was tested, all right? So in other words, the idea that the prototype gateway technology into this field propulsion capability was continued after the war in Antarctica would have required enormous electrical power. It would have required installations of massive size in Antarctica. Now, to imagine the, the German Navy as being operationally capable of waging not only a campaign against British and and American shipping in the Atlantic, but also getting the German Navy to ship by U-boat the components to produce that kind of electrical power and to build the installations in Antarctica that this would have required is to me an impossibility. So that's not to say I don't think the Nazis had some sort of installation in Antarctica, But it is nothing even remotely
2: close to To, what what it would take to to come up with that technology. And and the
6: The other part of the story we need to remember here, Chris, is that the people putting out that line, that there was this huge Nazi flying saucer research base in Antarctica, and they chased Admiral Byrd out of there with flying saucers and ray guns. The people putting that story out, by and large, are neo-Nazis, all right? Now, I have no doubt that Admiral (laughs) Byrd may have been chased out of Antarctica by a bunch of Nazis, all right? I have no problem with that, but they weren't coming from Antarctica. If they're coming from anywhere, they're probably coming from Tierra del Fuego or some base in southern Argentina, but not in Antarctica. Now, did the Nazis have a base in Antarctica? Probably. It may have been a secret U-boat base. It may have been a little resupply point. It may have been a weather station. They may have even hidden some things there that they didn't want anybody else to find. But a, a UFO research base, no.
2: That leads me to another question, which I meant to ask you earlier. Uh-huh. Um, again, from Go- Gogsmacky, one of our uh, you know very uh, <laughs> uh, prolific posters at forum.theparacast.com. And he asked... Um, we have a forum member, Polterwurst, who is German, and he has uh-huh. often stated that the whole paranormal field, and I assume he means UFOs as well, is treated with contempt in Germany. Uh-huh. Do you have any contacts there who are open to topics such as the Nazi bell, etc.? And if so, do they take an interest secretly due to an attitude of most people there?
6: Uh, that's that's kind of an interesting question. I've never had that before. I I have a number of my books that have been published in Germany. And and one of them is precisely the, the, the SS Brotherhood of the Bell, which in the German title is Die Brüderschaft der Blocke. And that tells me, you know, that's, that's one of the books that's been published in Germany. I've, I've had a couple more that have been bought by my German publisher. So that tells me that there is the interest in Germany. And I'll tell you the reason why I think that it may be Present in Germany, um, German reunification to me, Chris, is the signal event here that kicks loose so much of these stories. The reason why is that within the former Eastern Zone, within the former East Germany, and those portions of, of Germany that that lie now in, in Poland, Silesia, and, and uh, Western Pomerania, and so on, you had a lot of these huge Nazi installations, underground installations, that weren't on anybody's radar screen. In other words, we couldn't pin these installations to any specific project that had been written about during all of those decades of, of, of the two Germanys. They weren't appearing on anybody's radar, man. And it's interesting that many of the documents that, that I refer to in my books start being declassified after German reunification. It's almost as if the Allies know the jig is up, the cover story is going to be blown, because these installations are huge. <laughs> okay, uh, And self-evidently, a lot of them had to do with with um, the German nuclear program. So I think part of it, you're, you see in Germany a bunch of authors like uh, Thomas Maynard and Friedrich Georg... Uh, the, uh, researchers like that even even Professor uh, Reiner Karlsch, that have written a number of books now challenging the, the post-war allied legend on the basis of documents that have been declassified and on the basis of access to these installations that used to lie in, in the Soviet zone so I think the Germans are showing curiosity about these things, but they're, you know, in typical German fashion, they're being very cautious and being very thorough as as to, you know, how they're going to
2: interpret these these installations and the science behind them. Well, that that's uh, a point well taken, and um, I do remember some of the news clips after reunification of hordes of uh, of. You know, radicals. You know, descending on GRU headquarters uh, and and outposts and and pulling out reams and reams of documents. You would think right. that there's there's going to be some sort of uh, revelations that are g- g- going to come from that. But you know, the whole idea of the East West uh, dialectic, as as you put it uh, in one of your books, and That whole idea of Reinhard Galen and and (laughs) you bring up in in saucers, uh, swastikas and psyops a really interesting point that one of the guys that was the architect, along with uh, Alan Dulles of Operation Paperclip, which brought over hundreds of of Nazi scientists uh, to the West, was that we had a guy that had literally he was ahead of of Soviet and, you know, anti-Soviet intelligence for the Nazis. He was left intact with his apparatus, yes. <laughs> intact as an intelligent asset, intelligence asset for the United States. Let's briefly talk about that. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think that's something that we've kind of uh, overlooked here in the conversation yeah. is yeah. the U.S. Um, understanding and intel about what the actual uh, state of scientific development was going on in the Soviet Union after the war.
6: Right. Well, what you're referring to there is is an organization in Nazi Germany called Fremteher Ost, which means Foreign Armies East. It was German military intelligence. Before we East- get
1: on to the explanation of that agency. Okay, well it's also that time for me to interrupt. With Joseph Farrell, you're hearing Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. <laughs>
4: preparedness is simple when you have the right stuff and with the looming threat of economic collapse and possible service interruption it's time to get the best in class preparedness stuff at disasterstuff.com disasterstuff.com has been serving smart preppers for over 15 years with quality products like berkey water filters disasterstuff.com is the official berkey in-stock shipping center and as always free shipping on all berkey products Stock up on water barrels and accessories. Get Country Living or Wonder Mill grain mills. Excalibur food dehydrators. Tattler reusable canning lids. Sun oven solar cookers. EMP bags to protect sensitive electronics. And don't be without your LifeStraw personal water filter. All from DisasterStuff.com. Preparedness is simple with the right stuff from DisasterStuff.com. Freedom through self-reliance and personal responsibility.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: We're in the final four segments of our session with Joseph Farrell, and as you can see, we're only scratching the surface, or the subsurface, depending on your point of view. You began to talk about a specific German agency, Joseph?
6: Yeah, Fremte Heer Ost, Foreign Armies East. This was the military intelligence organization of the German army in Eastern Europe and, and the Soviet bloc. And it was headed by a German general by the name of Reinhard Galen. All right? Now, toward the end of the war, General Galen approached the Americans at first through... Uh, the American General Siebert, and then later in direct contact with Alan Dulles, who later, of course, becomes one of the directors of the CIA during the post-war period. Now, Galen struck a deal with the Americans, and you literally have to read this deal to believe it, but it's true. Basically, the deal was that Galen's organization would remain completely intact after the war, And his agents would remain in place in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union. Now, we're talking about a military intelligence organization at that time with some 4,000 agents in in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union. Now, this organization would remain intact. It would work for the Americans as the American human on-the-ground intelligence presence in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union. But the operational day-to-day control of that organization would remain in General Galen's hands after the war. Ultimately, this organization becomes, when West Germany's sovereignty is, is granted and recognized by, by the Western Allies, this organization then becomes the German Bundesnachrichtendienst, their their version of the CIA, which incidentally is still around today. So, in other words, the foundation of the modern German version of the CIA is Nazi in origin, and more importantly, the American intelligence presence inside the Soviet Union after the war, up until the point of of the grant of West German sovereignty, from 1947, with the creation of, of the CIA and the National Security Act, up until 1954 or 55, the CIA's Soviet desk is really nothing but a front for this Nazi intelligence organization. Now, this is huge because this means that President Truman's intelligence briefing on Soviet military capability and intentions is coming directly (laughs) from a Nazi intelligence organization to the extent that in some cases all the CIA did was to retype verbatim General Galen's assessment and analysis and simply put it on the CIA letterhead and pass it on to President Truman. So in other words... A bunch of Nazis are telling us what Soviet intentions and capabilities are. And in that process, they are creating and feeding Cold War fears. That's absolutely crucial. They are literally the Nazi Trojan horse inside of the the post-war American military intelligence complex.
2: I, I think that is huge. And, it's and so huge. When I saw huge. your documentation on that, it, it all of a sudden it rang these big Nazi bell <laughs> clangs <laughs> in my head.
6: Yeah, it's a huge story. When you stop and think about it, this means that, that there's a huge tr- Nazi Trojan horse inside of American intelligence. Then you've got the post-war deals between, between the Nazis and, and the Western bankers. You've got the Nazi penetration into to the U.S. Army and, and U.S. Navy and eventually NASA, you know, building the missiles and building the rockets, you know, it's, it's, it's fundamentally a huge story. If, if we wonder why America looks fascist today, my, my response would be oh. is, is because we made the deal with the fascist devil at the end of World War II.
1: Oh, you say looks fascist in what respect? Let's be specific.
6: Well, I think, you know, this this idea of a snitch state culture, we've got increasing surveillance, curtailing of of our civil liberties. We've got, you know, this National Defense Authorization Act which, you know, basically allows you to draw up a Gestapo death list. <laughs>
2: So I think you know, well, with you look, ten thousand drones being uh, yeah, well, bought ten, by police forces around the country,
6: yeah, you know, it's it's Stukas without pilots, you know. <laughs> so, so you know, I think I think you look at the tendencies in our culture that we see going on now, and, and from my point of view, you, you go back to the deals that were struck at the end of World War II with this fascist devil, and I think that's the reason in part that you're seeing the transformation of America that you're seeing.
1: So, if we look at this and assume it's happening, how long does it
6: take to get there? To get where? I'm not understanding. Oh,
1: well, all right, assuming we're going to move towards some kind of fascist state. Uh-huh. All right, we're assuming we're there already, or do we assume we've made a certain degree of progress, and if not stopped, oh, I it's think,
6: going to go I all think, the way? I think definitely we've, we have to admit that there's, there's been made a certain degree of progress,
2: I mean, my word. The Rubicon is way behind us on Election Day here, uh, 2012.
6: (laughs) Well, yeah, I think I think the Rubicon again. I go back to this deal with Galen and 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 the whole Operation Paperclip mentality that that the end of defeating communism justified the means of of bringing over, you know, clear Nazis. You, You cannot look at people like Artur Rudolph or, or Werner von Braun, who clearly knew of and exploited the slave labor that at Nordhausen and, and the Mittelwerk in building their rockets and bring these kinds of people, or for that matter, Hubertus Strughold. I mean, my God, here was a man that was involved in the actual medical experiments on, on human beings that are just barbaric and, and doing so as the basis for, for the Nazi foundations for space medicine. And this character is brought over to this country to continue the same sort of of development of, of medicine, so-called medicine, for our space program. So we're bringing over these unreconstructed Nazis into this country. We're striking deals with with nazi generals and intelligence officers i mean my god this is bound to have an effect on the the bureaucratic culture of the american agencies involved in these projects and ultimately i think that that effect on the bureaucratic culture is going to bleed over into into public society oh to let me po- ask you a question sure, then, sure.
1: and for our listeners benefit we're recording sure. this show on tuesday november 6th election day Right. Everyone out there, we hope, depending on how things turn out, will know whether we have a President Obama for one more term or a President Romney. Uh-huh. Okay, so knowing that we don't have the answer when we do this episode, uh-huh. do you think it matters who becomes president or are they all subject to control by... The industrial complex by the I, fascist bureaucrats. Question: uh, I
6: got, I got the question. I'll be very, very blunt. I do not like talking about politics in, in interviews. Um, however, that said, I have made it very, very clear in any number of blogs on my website that I'm basically bipartisan. In other words, I loathe dummy crooks and republic thugs equally. I think the system is so corrupted by these so-called two political parties and the monopoly they have on, on the American electoral process and their cronies in the media and that they are so beholden to corrupt corporate capitalism that I have not participated in any American election since 1988 uh, and, and for very clear reasons in that election of, of the corruption of the Bush family and their relationship during the war and prior to the war to industrialists inside of germany that were major backers of adolf hitler so you know at from my point of view personally i look at both of these men as sock puppets for that financial oligarchy for that uh, military industrial complex and and a pox on both of their houses as far as i'm concerned
1: Don't go anywhere, neighbors. We've got so much to talk about, not a lot of time, but stay tuned. We have Joseph Farrell joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Hey, neighbors, you've seen all those crazy, wacky products on TV. The perfect tortilla, easy covers, hot booties, furniture fix, petty spin, and more. Where do you find all that stuff? You go to asseenontv.com because this is the one-stop source for all of these TV goods advertised. Find all your favorites as seen on TV. Check them out asseenontv.com. And by the way, save 10%. Here's what you do. Use the code SEEN1, S-E-E-N number one, SEEN1. Go to asseenontv.com to order, save 10% purchase this summer's hottest as seen on tv items save 10 percent or call 1-866-277-3366 1-866-277-3366 the code scene one to save 10 percent
15: quantitative easing unemployment at depression levels Europe's financial system falling apart, China getting out of U.S. Treasuries. At the end of 2008, the time of TARP, the national debt was at $11 trillion, Gold trading around $850 per ounce. Close to 2012, the national debt exceeded $16.4 trillion, gold doubled to $1,600 per ounce. The $20 trillion threshold for the national debt is inevitable. Politicians in Washington have a ferocious appetite for spending and stimulus. What's worse, a printing press to finance.
12: Iodine Protection Packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with microplant powder. Visit us at hempusa.org or call 908 691 2608 today.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: With Gene and Chris on the Paracast, we're talking to Joseph Farrell. We've been covering the influence of nazi scientists fascist influences how it's affecting our society now when president eisenhower at the end of his two terms warned of the rise of the military industrial complex
6: was he talking <laughs> about this that's a great question i think gene to some extent he is i i, I truly do and and i've, I've Joseph, let,
2: let me interrupt here. Sure. There was a certain uh, couple of words that were taken out of that statement before uh-huh. he made it. And it was the undue influence of the military, industrial, and political was stricken from from his speech, if uh, memory serves me correct.
6: Well, that I didn't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I think Eisenhower is in the position to know of the vast extent of this Nazi penetration and the, the cultural influence within those bureaucracies that it had. And coming from the man who had to fight the Nazi war machine, I mean the embodiment of a military-industrial complex in a company like IG Farben, you know, which accounted for most of, of the industrial output that made the Nazi war machine juggernaut possible, I think these these words of his are very measured, and I do think that he had definitely in mind something like this post-war American Nazi paperclip, Dayton. I think he had something in mind like this post-war Nazi international extraterritorial state.
1: I wanted to ask you another question, too. Mm-hmm. All right. Is it possible that the military-industrial complex got rid of President Kennedy because he went against them and was going to pull our troops out of Vietnam?
6: Oh, yes. You know, again, I wrote a a book that gets overlooked in my output called LBJ and the Conspiracy to Kill Kennedy. So we
1: got the answer there. LBJ did it.
6: (laughs) Well, not completely. The subtitle of the book is A Coalescence of Interests. And I, I, I spend some time in that book, pointing out the Nazi connections, because this is an aspect of the assassination that that most other assassination researchers do not want to talk about, and it's there. So did Kennedy challenge these power bases of, of what Professor Peter Dale Scott calls the deep politics, the parapolitical structure in this country? And I think the answer has to be definitely yes, he did. And that's why it's so baffling to people to look at the Kennedy assassination because you do have present within it connections to the mafia, connections to the intelligence community, connections to, to high finance, connections to you know international drug trade and arms trafficking, and on and on it goes. And it is a coalescence of interest because he's challenging the deep political structure of the post-war world and all of these deals with the, the former Axis elites that that entailed. So,
1: therefore, you would say, who killed Kennedy, all of the above?
6: All of the above,
1: yeah. Would the same thing be true for Bobby Kennedy?
6: I think so, yes, yeah. When you talk about all
1: these conspiracies and such, how the heck do you prove it? I mean, I remember back in the late 60s seeing lectures by a former New York State Assemblyman, Mark Uh Lane, who wrote the book Rush to Judgment. And he shows you all the factual discrepancies. Right. And then, of course, we have the Oliver Stone movie and all the other stuff. So, how do you prove
6: it? Well, I, proof is a difficult word. I think we have to talk in terms of persuasion. If you're looking for absolute proof in any venture, you're never going to find it. The only time you're going to find it is within mathematics, you know, given this uh, assumption, then, then reason from certain ex- formally explicit propositions to the conclusion. To expect that level of, of proof within this type of endeavor is, is, to my mind, expecting the impossible. I think what you have to speak in terms of is persuasion. You have to get people to understand that the official versions of these events are mythologies, that they are far more riddled with holes than any so-called conspiracy theory. And the second thing, particularly with events like Kennedy, is we have to understand we're not dealing with a conspiracy in any Typical sense. We are dealing rather with the deep parapolitical structure of of an oligarchical system in the post war world that resembles nothing better or nothing more analogous than that of medieval Venice. You're dealing with an oligarchy that has its fingers and tentacles in every aspect of. of the levers of power, and therefore you're dealing with something very different than conspiracy in the ordinary sense. But nonetheless, you're dealing with something vast and truly beyond most people's experience. So the difficulty is, is communicating all of this in adequate detail to make people question the official versions of events.
1: All right, so Joseph Farrell and some other authors... Question the official version of events. Has anyone tried to come after you as a result?
6: <laughs> let's put it this way. <laughs> That's good. All right. I'm
1: sorry th- I made a joke. I didn't No, intend. no, no,
6: no. It's not a joke. I, I, it's. Let's put it this way. I've had weird things happen to me. I can't honestly say that, that um, other than one incident a few years ago, I, ha- I can't honestly say that anybody's coming after me. I've had one individual... Uh, fairly well known in this alternative research community tell me privately to my face, and I'm not going to say who this individual is uh, it would be very readily recognizable to people, tell me that the only reason I've been left alone is I came out of left field so far and so fast and so suddenly that you know they would have offed me otherwise well, I don't know if that's true or not I don't know, I've, like I say, I've had strange things happen Uh, I have had my mail opened. I've I've had computer screens freeze and private chat with people about these topics. I've had an unusual circumstance where friends of mine in an ever-narrowing circle were being up and so on and so forth and it looked like it was coming toward me but beyond that i can't say that i have you know bullet holes in my windshield or cut brake lines you know, <laughs> well
2: that. that brings me up to a question that uh our faithful uh, forum poster gogsmacky uh posted here and this kind of puts you on you know a little bit on i don't know sort of on point here do you distance yourself from the work of richard hoagland now Yes, I remember I- when they, you guys often appeared on shows together, but the consensus seems to be these days that Hoagland is churning out stuff now with little regard to real data slash truth. Right.
6: Well, yes, the answer to that is yes, I do distance myself from,
2: yeah. You mentioned before uh, the Majestic 12 documents in passing, and mm-hmm. it seemed that you accepted them as, as being real. Uh where do you come down on the Magic 12 documents? Okay, it's cliffhanger time once again.
1: All right? So we're going to have to pause for a moment before we get you the answer about the controversial MJ 12 documents. And by the way, if you want to reach us on the paracast write news at com. Once again, write us news at com. And of course, it's many MJ 12 documents, not just one. We'll have those answers. We have Joseph Farrell joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
7: Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network.
18: In more ways than one, it's going to be a November to remember... Going on now and just in time for the holidays, Emergency Essentials offers a huge Mountain House sale only at BePrepared.com. All Mountain House cans are 20-32% to 32% off. For example, a can of Mountain House Chili Mac, regularly $25.49, is now only $17.24. Scrambled eggs with bacon usually $31.89, now only 21.56. dollars And save 26% on a three-day emergency kit. Or save $123 on a one-month supply of freeze-dried and dehydrated foods. Gift shoppers, check out the Katadyn Vario water filter at 26% or get special pricing on the Gerber Suspension Multi-Tool and the Volcano Stove Collapsible Cooking Combo. For details, call 800-999-1863 to experience exceptional customer service and emergency essentials low price guarantee. But hurry, the November to Remember sale ends November 30th. That's 800-999-1863. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or beprepared.com. Being an armed citizen means having a gun with you all the time. Carrying a firearm every day requires a holster that is both concealable and comfortable. Whether you choose our Super Tuck Deluxe or Mini Tuck, you'll have the confidence that comes from being discreetly and comfortably armed, prepared to face unforeseen dangers. Crossbreed holsters are handmade in the USA, come with a lifetime warranty, and a two week try it free guarantee.
15: future and call 1-800-686-2237.
12: Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We have
1: Joseph Farrell joining us again on the Paracast as we continue on, focusing on the controversial MJ-12 documents. Of course, we have the original one, the Eisenhower briefing document. How do you come down on this?
6: Well, there are so many of them, you know. As you say, to come down on on all of them in, in one, you know, blanket endorsement or denial is is not what I'm about. I subject beginning in Reich of the Black Sun and running through SS Brotherhood of the Bell and even on into a certain extent in Roswell and the Reich. I subject a number of of the Magic Twelve documents, particularly of the Cooper Campbell set, to a, a review and. With many of them, I'm kind of like Stanton Friedman, that that I I view them or put them in my gray basket. I think there's enough truth in many of them to suggest that even if they are intentional disinformation, in order to make disinformation work, you have to have enough solid information in a document in order for them to, to hook the intended target. And I think it's very clear that in many of these documents, you do have enough of that sort of information, that that whoever's behind them is is coming up with some pretty profound information. I referenced in, earlier in this program simply the fact that in some of these documents you have, in the, in the aftermath of the Roswell event, you have American military officials consulting German scientists, which to me seems rather odd if you're coming to the conclusion, the preliminary conclusion, that this is an extraterrestrial craft. And you have to understand that when I'm citing documents in that way, I'm doing so in in the form of, well, let's assume for the sake of argument type of, of reasoning. I'm not reliant, I want to stress this, I am not reliant upon an argument that says these documents are ipso facto Real and authentic, and therefore basing my argument on them i hope I hope that's clear uh, I hope that that you understand
2: that that's why I brought the question up
6: yeah, as for mr hoagland uh, without getting into details uh at one point, we had intended to do a book and and nothing ever seemed to develop from that uh there were a number of other disappointments i had and, and uh, i've simply i've simply had to 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 part company because i you know what i do is research it may be speculation but at least i try to to offer reason and, and to offer some sort of um, documentary or yeah some sort of some sort of backing for things
1: now on previous episodes of the powercast we've had some fascinating discussions about hoagland and about mike barra in the meantime let's divert back to the subject of ufos Okay, so not all of them are necessarily Nazi-born secret weapons. Does that mean E.T. is there?
6: Well, it could mean any number of things. It could mean ETs there. It could mean some sort of subterrestrials are there. We've got, you know, two-thirds of this world is ocean, and we haven't even been to uh, ocean floors. It could mean any number of things. Um, I think I think we have to be very, very cautious in ascribing origins to these things. We have to look at planetary geology. We have to entertain not only an extraterrestrial hypothesis. We might have to entertain a subterrestrial one. We might have to entertain an aquatic one. You know, there's lots of things we have to think about.
1: But the key here is that we don't just look for one answer. I mean, part of the problem in the UFO field these days is that so many people expect that it's E.T. and only E.T., And that's another question, too. If we have this secret agreement to bring fascism to the world's governments and secret agreements about Nazi inventions, what about secret agreements that concern the origin of UFOs? Do we really know? Does someone know?
6: Well, that's an excellent question. In other words, do I think it possible that there's a certain degree of international cooperation about the phenomenon and and what is publicly released and discussed? Absolutely, I do. Um, you know, I'm not I, I tend to be kind of like what you have suggested in the way you formulated that question. For me, I'm not philosophically opposed to the idea of extraterrestrials, but my experience with many, if not most people in the field of ufology is that for them it's a religion. Uh, everything is interpreted along an extraterrestrial hypothesis such that to challenge it, is either to be ignored or, or to be you know considered something of a skeptic. And, and I'm neither of these things.
2: <laughs> oh, man, th- does that sound familiar, Gene? <laughs> Dang,
6: yes, it does have been,
2: a ring to it. We've been banging it, yes. that drum for I don't know how long.
1: <laughs> you have some well, more questions from our
2: friend Gonksmacky. Okay. I do. And this goes back to one of my favorite books that you've written is, is The Cosmic War. Okay. And Gogsmack, he asked, Joseph, I've heard, over, I've heard you over the years talking about an interplanetary war that may have happened in our solar system in the past. He's, right. read to, he's yet to read the cosmic war, okay. but he asked if you could elaborate on this particular view and um, what is the source material for this claim?
6: Okay, the source material is very simple. You, you look at a lot of Mesopotamian texts, uh, like the Epic of Ninurta, the Lugal al-A, uh, Atrahasis Epic. Uh, you look at certain Hurrian material. You look at certain Egyptian material, like the Edfu Temple texts, and so on and so forth. So in other words, the, the source is, is basically ancient texts uh, from that region of the world, Egypt, Egypt through Mesopotamia. But you'd also have to look at... Uh, the Vedic texts like the Mahabharata or the, the Ramayana that talk about these wars of the gods. And again, even Greek mythology, you know, the, the, the wars of the Titans against the gods. You have You have cosmic war stories or mythologies, basically, from all over the world. Now, the interesting thing is that if you look at some of these texts... And I'm thinking, in particular, of, of the Enuma Elish from from uh, Mesopotamia, the Epic of Narnarta, and so on. If you look at some of these Babylonian or, or Sumerian texts, you're reading things that really defy classification as a mythology because they are so bland in some sense and boring. They're 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 like uh, reading newspaper accounts today. But at the same time, you have descriptions of physics in these things that, to my mind, can only indicate that you're dealing with texts that were handed down from a very, very high antiquity and a high civilization. Otherwise, they make no sense. And I review these texts uh, in the Cosmic War, uh, also in, in the Giza Death Star Destroyed. And what you end up with, looking at them a certain way, is you end up with an interplanetary war, you have a civilization with an interplanetary capability, and they end up, just like George Lucas's Star Wars movies, blowing up a planet right here in our solar system. Now, it's interesting because the 19th century astronomers that were looking for a planet in the asteroid belt, were looking there, in that region, precisely because astronomical mathematical law said there should be a planet there. And when they began to find the asteroids in the early 19th century, they came to the conclusion, yeah, we found the planet, but it appears that this planet blew up, that it exploded. Now the interesting thing is, these astronomers called that planet Krypton. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yes, the man who came from Krypton can change the course of mighty rivers. Ben Steele and his bear. I am forget it.
6: That's right. That's right. They they called this planet Krypton. Now, in recent times, that exploded planet hypothesis was revived by the former U.S. Naval Observatory astronomer, doctor, the late Dr. Tom Van Flander. And what really interests me is that in his book, Dark Matter, Missing Comets and New Planets, or something like that, I can never get that title straight, he comes up with several different models as to why a planet should suddenly and spontaneously explode. Before
1: our show explodes. Uh-huh. We have Joseph Farrell joining us with Gene and Chris. For one more segment, you're in The Paracast.
7: The GCN Radio Network. Providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here.
11: Would it save you time to get the best quality water filters and the best quality storable foods from one company? You bet it would, and now you can at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com Big Berkey water filter products and great tasting, long lasting, storable Wise Foods are both now available on one website, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com Wise Foods, ready to eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches and come with a 25 year shelf life. Big Berkey water filters are powerful enough to purify by treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. Combine Berkey water filters with Wise Foods for an unbeatable preparedness combination. Get free shipping on every order over $50. And GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Or go to BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com.
5: Usually, the older one gets, the less you're able to absorb amino acids and the less you're able to repair the 75 trillion cells of your body. As a result, you'll have less energy, your tissues will shrink, and you'll become wrinkled. An older person will typically injure more easily and heal more slowly. Not fun. However, if you could consume a protein powder that is easy to absorb, then you may be able to gain back some strength, muscle, and speed of recovery. One World Whey is a highly digestible whey protein powder that may be the perfect answer for you.
6: My name is Errol. I'm 74 years old. You know, the taste of One World Whey is amazing. I play pickleball, and since taking One World Whey and your trace mineral supplement, I have more energy and recover faster from my working out. I used to take another grass-fed whey protein powder, but now I'm getting much better results using One World Whey.
5: Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y, dot This
3: is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books.
15: You're listening to the Paracast.
1: So why should the mythical Krypton Explode. (laughs) Explode. Why should it explode? Joseph Farrell is going to answer that question or attempt to answer it.
6: As I was saying before the break, the the late Dr. Tom Van Flandern proposed several models. You know, he he came up with a spontaneous nuclear fission model, you know, a a natural nuclear reactor, and there are such things, that went supercritical and exploded. That, of course, being a scientist, he knows that a fission reaction of the magnitude to explode a planet is very, very unlikely for certain reasons bound up with the processes of of nuclear fission. Well, then he comes up with the idea, okay, maybe somehow in the center of this planet there was a bunch of antimatter that, that was kept apart from the matter and for some reason the containment broke down and of course you had the total annihilation reaction, a lot of energy was released and the planet blew up. Well, again, you can kind of tell from the way he couches it, even the idea of a natural containment of that much antimatter is, is really stretching it. So Van Flandern himself, when you read his book, the really interesting thing is having proposed all of these mechanisms, these natural models, he finally sort of, in my opinion, admits defeat and says, well, there's one final possibility we need to consider, and that is deliberate action." And that's that's his words in other words he doesn't want to come right out and say somebody pressed a button had a technology and blew it up <laughs> Okay, that's what he doesn't want to talk about and I suspect the reason why is, is if immediately if you start talking like that you're thinking George Lucas, you're thinking Star Wars, you're thinking it was done in a war well in point of fact if you look at some of these ancient epics that's exactly what they're talking about they're talking about that kind of technological sophistication and they are talking about interplanetary wars so in other words put put two and two together you're talking about ancient myths and you've got local celestial evidence that somebody blew up a planet (laughs) right here in the solar system
18: so So that and,
2: and tiamat
6: Uh, Marduk and Tiamat, precisely. So that basically is the cosmic war in a nutshell. And incidentally, I deliberately conceived in the whole arch of my books, I deliberately conceived of the book The Cosmic War as being the keystone in the arch that unites them all. So in other words, I regard that book as as the centerpiece in, in the arch of all of the others.
1: Okay, so if this planet was blown up,
2: did anyone survive? I think you had. We were we were rescued from Mars. <laughs>
6: <laughs> no, I think what you, that's an excellent question. I think what you had is an interplanetary civilization that was based on this planet, possibly on the moon, Mars, some of the satellites of the gas giants, and so on. In the wake of that war, you had such devastation that I think you had surviving elites, particularly on this planet that were left to pick up the pieces as best as they could and and to preserve as much of that knowledge as, as they could. So, yeah, I think people survived. I think some of the survivors were here. There may be other survivors out there somewhere. I don't know, but I do think there were survivors.
1: Is that why you account for the ubiquity of these legends and we can go back to Atlantis, yeah. Lemuria, we can go back yeah. to Richard Shaver and the Duros and Tiros.
2: Right.
6: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I think, I think it's the survivors. Let me, let me go further, Gene. I'll explain what my model is. I think that you have essentially two elites. The elite surviving this war that was on the side of the vanquished and the elite that survived this war that was on the side of the victors. And by necessity of the case, they had to make common cause. And one of the first things they had to figure out was how do we preserve as much of the scientific knowledge that gave the possibility of this civilization? How do we preserve as much of that as possible? And my answer to that question is they did so in the form of myth and the reason why is when you are looking at a collapse of a high, scientifically sophisticated culture, if you're looking at the collapse of the scientific jargon or language, then the type of language that next best approximates the ability to communicate advanced truths is the language of metaphysics. It's the language of religion. It's the language of, of, of mythology. And this is what they do. They create myths whose true scientific content can only begin to be appreciated when humanity once again begins to arrive at a certain plateau of scientific development, such that once it takes that scientific worldview and begins to look at those myths, it can begin to see that at least some of those myths contain a scientific truth. And therefore, it might be necessary, therefore, to look at all of those myths in that way. I think we are at that point in human history right now.
2: Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I I couldn't agree more. I I think that was eloquently stated. And again, I do urge our listeners to get up to speed. Joseph P. Farrell. I don't know how many books you've written now, Joe, (laughs) at this point, but uh, I recommend them all. Uh, the cosmic war really opened my eyes. It was like taking a, a very kind of microscopic, sort of telescopic view that Sitchin came up with, and looking at it cross culturally, and saying, "Well, it's not only the Sumerians. It was, it was the whole Mesopotamian. You know, the the evolution of Mesopotamian cultures. It was, it was Egypt. It was the Harappan cultures. Uh, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's elements in in South America and Mesoamerica." Um, this is all really important stuff. I really recommend these uh, these books. And then if you really want to get into the 20th century stuff, obviously your 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 books on, on, on man-made UFOs, for lack of a better general term, I think are just highly recommended uh, by this humble co-host here. Okay, thank you. Joseph, let me ask you a brief question because we're
1: about out of time. I know you've got a huge and rich library that I'm going to have to catch up on. This recent book, Saucers, Swastikas, and Psyops. For so uh-huh. those of our listeners who want more information, can you give them something about the direction that they could look into?
6: Uh, yeah, you can get all of my books off of my web store on my website, and the email or the, the address of that is www.gizadeathstar.com. That's all one word and all lowercase. Uh, there's a web store there. They, get, they can get all my books by ordering right off, off the web
1: store. com. And by the way, when you click on Joseph Farrell's name over at com, magically, amazingly, it takes you to that site. And he's got a blog there, by the way, where he expresses his opinions about a lot of the things he's talked about here, like no confidence in this in Friends <laughs> S election. <laughs> Oh, boy, all that stuff. So it's there, so that's it. Is it any wonder why America, A-M-U-R-I-K-A, is so screwed up? <laughs> and we can go on and on for that kind of story. Now, oh, if our yeah. listeners have questions that we couldn't answer here, they can write you at your site?
6: Yeah, there's a, there's a contact button on my site. The only thing I ask is that your listeners put all capitals in the subject header of the email because I get tons of email so if they want me to open them that's my signal to
2: do so <laughs> ah ah <laughs> the secret recipe is all caps right. <laughs>
6: the secret recipe is and all listeners
2: caps. don't forget to tune in to forum.theparacast.com for the um conversation that's definitely going to ensue about our episode here with joseph p farrell yes that's going to be the
1: aftermath forum.theparacast.com yeah and Chris, being one of the moderators, is going to have a good time. We invite you also, Joseph, oh, yeah. and we'll tell you after the episode's over how you can participate and answer Thank more you. questions from our listeners. sound have been posted even after we recorded this episode. By the way, you can find us if you go on Twitter. You can find us. We are known as the Paracast. We're the Paracast on Twitter. And Chris
2: O'Brien has a site too, and he'll tell you very briefly what he has to offer. Our Strange Planet. I'll have an update on my trip down to Palenque with David Hatcher Childress and uh, onwards and upwards. You know, I think we're hopefully uh, going to move into a new period of, uh, I don't know, change and transformation on the planet. I'm, I'm an optimist. Ourstrangeplanet.com is the place to go.
1: Joseph Farrell, thank you for joining us this week. on the PowerCast.
6: Thank you for having me.